everybody. It's great to see you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm part of our preaching team and I want to welcome you here tonight. As Mark said, we are finishing this study in 1 John that we've been in this whole summer and just want to give you a heads up about what's happening in the next uh, number of weeks. So next week is going to be our Fuse weekend. Uh, Fuse is an in-town camp that we do for 6th through 12th graders and what they do is they stay in gender-specific small groups at different host homes throughout the church and then have sessions. They get together to worship and to learn and to uh, have fun together on Friday night and then on Saturday and then the last session of Fuse is actually here. So you all are invited to the last session of Fuse, and uh, it's Fuse Sunday, and so it's, it's a great time. We totally rearrange the campus. Uh, we really try to especially meet the needs of the, of the kids that will be there. Uh, at the 4 p.m. next week will be all the high school students, and so that will be pretty fun. Um, and so, man, I really just hope you'll, uh, hope you'll join us. I get, I'm preaching on a, a thing that um, actually is probably one of my very favorite passages in all of the Bible, and I don't think I've ever preached on it here. I've preached on it elsewhere, but I've never done it here. And so I want to, I'm excited to preach about that. And uh, I'll just tell a few of you, uh, you know, most of you are just so encouraging to the next generation. A few of you here, it's Fuse Sunday, and you go, you know what, that sounds like a great week to miss. Because it's loud, and it's crazy, and it's, and here's what I just want to tell you. Get over yourself. <laughs> and get here, and be here. It's called Fuse, because we're trying to fuse the next generation to the church. Listen, the next generation isn't the future church, they're the current church. And they're part of this thing, and this is an intergenerational thing, so be here and sing loud and be uncomfortable, and uh, we're going to have a great time. So that's next Sunday, all right? I'm preaching already. It's just an announcement. All right, so that's next Sunday. Then September 3rd, uh, Seth Trout will be back. Seth's part of our preaching team, and uh, yeah, he's, he's had a, a few months off of sabbatical. He's going to have an opportunity to share some reflections, what he's learned from that experience. And then September 10th, we're studying the book of Revelation, and that'll take us through the fall. We're going to study Revelation. Y'all thought we'd never do it, and you were wrong. We're doing it, and uh, hopefully we'll do it well, but you know, who knows? We'll see. So uh, that'll be September 10th. So anyway, so that's, that's where we're headed for these, for these next few weeks. Tonight, I am unapologetically stealing the title of this sermon from a quote from a dear friend of mine and a mentor of mine, someone that invested heavily in my life and in my marriage and in my family and in uh, my ministry. Um, a guy named Tom Schrader. Tom was the founding and uh, senior pastor of East Valley Bible Church, which became Redemption Gilbert. He's now with the Lord, um, but he's been a dear uh, person in my life. And if you listen to anyone talk who's ever been around Tom and his ministry, and you say, hey, what were some of the things you learned from Tom Schrader? Inevitably, pretty early in the conversation, someone is going to say to you this quote from Tom Schrader, what you know trumps what you feel. What you know trumps what you feel. That was this, one of these one-liners of Tom's that just really stuck, and it really made a difference in a lot of people's lives. Now, not everybody knows where it came from, but where it came from was, was Tom was walking uh, in a shepherding-type caring relationship for this widow whose husband had died relatively early and unexpectedly. It was a real tragic situation, and as he was spending time with her, he was asking her, you know, what are you, as you're going through this, what are you feeling? By the way, that's an important question. We're not just brains on a stick, right? We're, we're bodies, we're minds, we're emotions, we're, we're, we're complex. And when we're affected by negative things, we feel it 
And so it's appropriate to go, hey, what are you feeling? What, what, what's going on in there? And, and what, is, what are our feelings showing you about what you need to inquire about and ask more questions and whatever the case may be? So what are you feeling? And she was talking about the grief and just the various challenges she was going through. And then he said, okay, now what do you know? She said, well, I know that God is good and I know that God is sovereign and I know that God can be trusted. And I know that Romans 8.28 is true, that God works everything together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I know that that's true. And Tom said to her, okay, what you know trumps what you feel. What you feel is serious and don't, don't dismiss it. But what you know trumps even that. So that's where that came from. And then over the years, he would preach about it and talk about it and uh, that sort of stuff. And uh, so tonight's sermon is called What You Know Trumps What You Feel. And I actually went to Tom at some point and said, hey, Tom, this is like, everybody is so connects with this idea. We need to turn this into a book. And he's like, ah, I, I, I could never write a book. I said, I know you couldn't, but I could. And I could ghostwrite it for you, or we could write it together. We could work on this. And he goes, Luke, it's not a book. It's, it's a cover. Like that's the whole thing. What you know trumps what you feel. There's no book. There's no, you know, it's just stunning to me the amount of influence he had for someone who cared so little <laughs> about having it. Um, so we never did write that book. Um, but I think it's an appropriate way to finish this in light of what John does, especially at the end of this passage. Because what we know trumps what we feel. How do you feel tonight? How are you doing? How's it going? This is a big room, right? There's a million answers, right? Like, well, I'm pretty good. I'm okay. Well, I haven't really thought about it. Right? A lot of us, you go, how do you feel? You're like, I try to not think about that question. Some of you are like, I know how I feel, and it's not good. How you doing? Well, when the feelings are overwhelming, we got to return to what we know. That's why I think it's interesting that that's how John finishes this letter, He finishes it saying, we know, we know, we know. Here's some things that we know. He's been writing to a church that is overwhelmed and discouraged, some even beginning to deconstruct and doubt their faith, and the feelings of disappointment through this life have caught up to them, and he's trying to get them to hold on, and he's saying, hey, what you know trumps what you feel. Here's the purpose statement he gives for the book in verse 13 of chapter 5. Look at it with me. He says this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to know some stuff, he says. He says, don't give up. This is a seasoned guy, right? He had walked with Jesus when he was a teenager. Now he's the last apostle standing. He's an older man. He's riding to them. He's saying, listen, I want you to be able to be secure. I want you to be able to know some stuff. I want you to be able to hold firm to Jesus. He's worth it. And so what we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna focus especially on verses 18 to 21. Um, But before we do that, let me just show you a a, a bit of why I feel okay doing that uh, and breeze through the rest of chapter five. Tonight, technically, we're covering all of chapter five, but uh, you'll see what he does here is he just, in chapter five, is really repeating a lot of the things he's been saying a bunch throughout the book. So look at chapter five, verse one. Right, all throughout this book, he's told us we need to love one another. Look at what he says in chapter five, verse one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of God of him. So if you love God, you're going to love his people. If you don't love his people, you should question whether you really love God. So that's verse one. Look at verse three. We're told to obey his commandments. Verse three, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Throughout the book, we've been told walk in the light. 
Be in the light. Obey the Lord. Look at what we're told in verses 10 and 11, to trust Jesus. Whoever believes in the Son of God, by the way, that word belief is not just what's going on in your head, it's, it's a trust word. Whoever trusts in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. If you trust in Christ, John's been saying throughout this whole thing, if you're trusting in him, he truly is the son of God. You truly can have eternal life. He said that over and over. And if we have that, then we also have confidence to come before the Lord. Look at verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That we, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Don't you get frustrated when you make a phone call? you need some help on something and you get an automated menu. For English, press one. For this department, press two. For this department, press three. And, and it, here's what I do every time. I just go, talk to a person. Well, that's great. Let me figure out how to direct your call. Can you tell, talk to a person, right? Listen, you never have that problem when it comes to God. Do you see it? This is the confidence we have. We can ask anything and he hears you. Right, so, so that's, those are all these themes. Those have just been coming up over and over and over in the book. Love one another, obey his commands, trust in Jesus, confidently approach him. And then he finishes with these three we know statements. What, what do we know? Okay, we're overwhelmed with disappointment in this life, but what do we know? What do we know in particular about our sanctification? What do we know about our source? What do we know about our security? That's the roadmap. Where do we know about our sanctification, our source, our security? Well, first, what we know trumps what we feel. And we feel overwhelmed by weakness, number one, but we know that sanctification is happening. This is verse 18. We, we try to act strong, don't we? Uh, but it's just an act. Like my little guy, Hank, he's uh, in first grade. First time going to school, he's six years old. And uh, man, his excitement level for day one was like up here. His excitement level for day two was like down here. Because school's not really made for six-year-old boys to have a good time. Um, but he, it's, you know, slowly creeping up. But every day I'm giving him the pep talk. Come on, man. We're Simmons. Simmons can do hard things. Right, buddy? You know, like, you can be tough. And he's like, okay, Dad, I'll do, you know. But you can tell he's just trying. And I just realized, you know what? We're all kind of like that. We're kind of trying to put on a happy face and put on some toughness and yeah, but by the end of the day, it's just sort of ground us out and we realize this acting strong was just an act. We're not that tough. We pretend to be tough, but it's like when I walk around the neighborhood and uh, I don't have a dog. I had a dog uh, that died when I was 11. She broke my heart and I've never had a dog since. Um, so now what I do is the big mean dogs in the neighborhood, I like to harass them. Right, in my neighborhood, the way it works is there's like this, you know, wall with these like slats through it. And so when I'm going on a walk or something around the neighborhood, sometimes like the real big aggressive dogs, they'll get up on there and, rah, 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 rah. you know, and uh, if I'm alone, I'll look back at them and go, rah, 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 you know, right, if you saw me out there, you'd be like, what is wrong with this guy? And you would not be wrong. That, that's correct. And, uh, and I'm acting tough, but you know what? You, you know why I can act tough? Because there's a giant concrete wall 
protecting me from this dog, right? Like if the dog was like, if it was like real life, like peace out, man. I don't want anything to do with that because I know I'm weak. We act tough, but we know we're weak. And when we stop and we think about how weak we are, it gets real frustrating. Like I, just this past weekend, I was in Colorado. That's where I grew up and uh, got to just get out of the heat and spend some time with my dad and um, some of you will know, last year, this time, my dad was really battling with tongue cancer. He's right now totally healthy, uh, free and clear, doing great. Uh, we ate a couple of steaks together, and uh, it was really great to, to see him and to be with him. But just being in my childhood home, and it just sort of reminds me, like, you know, some of the sins I dealt with back then, they're still in my life. That's pretty disappointing. It's been decades of walking with the Lord. And I'm still plagued by the same stuff. Now, not in the same ways, and I don't think with the same intensity, but it's still there. Like, it ain't gone. What the heck? Right? And, I, and I'm frustrated by the same tendencies I have. Like, like, when am I going to, like, get it under control and resist the urge to say the funny, witty thing to my kids that is actually gonna discourage them. Ah. And, and, and we go, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm maturing, right? Like, I'm not gonna set my expectations so high, but then something happens, you get real excited, and then it doesn't happen the way you thought, and you end up disappointed, and then you're discouraged by how disappointed you are because you knew better. Like, doesn't it just feel a lot of times like, oh, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. Is this really, ah, oh, it just feels overwhelming. Hey, what we know trumps what we feel. So what do we know? We know that sanctification is happening, that God finishes what he starts. We know that to be true. Let's look at this text together. Verse 18 of 1 John chapter five, he says, we know we know, there it is. It's not about what we feel, it's about what we know. Now, in this passage, what's really interesting in verse 18 is he's gonna introduce us subtly to these two theological concepts. Uh, one I've already mentioned. The first one is justification. The second is sanctification. So justification is this. This is the theological idea of justification. Here's a definition. We'll put it up there for you. Justification is our declared righteousness before God made possible by Christ's death and resurrection for us. It's our declared righteousness before God. In other words, we're in the courtroom of heaven and we're guilty because we haven't even lived up to our own standard, let alone God's standard, and we have fallen short and we've disregarded God and we deserve uh, to have eternity away from God, eternity of, of punishment and justice for the way we've treated one another. Right? That's what we deserve as we come into the court. And because of Christ and his death and his resurrection, because of that, we are declared not guilty. And more than that, it's the righteousness of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the mercy and kindness and goodness of Jesus gets credited to our account because all of our sin got credited to him on the cross. And so we are declared not guilty. And, and more than that, we're declared righteous. Right, another way to remember justification is you could think of it this way. Justification is that if, if you're declared justified, God is treating you just as if you never sinned, justification. Now, here's what we know, that being declared righteous 
and being described as righteous are different things, right? Think about it. If you've lived a life where decade after decade you've lived for yourself and you've just cared about you and you've been on the throne of your own life and so you've been greedy and you've been apathetic toward other people, you've maybe even been cruel in certain instances, you've uh, been sexually immoral, uh, you've just lived for yourself, right? If, If that's you, and, and then you hear the good news of the gospel and you go, oh my gosh, God is gonna forgive that? I'm in. God is gonna welcome me to himself, I'm in. I'm gonna trust him, I'm gonna surrender to him. And you, and you pray with faith and God really does save you in that moment. You're declared righteous, but you're not yet described righteous. You're still pretty lousy. But what has happened to you is you have been born of God. We know that everyone who has been born of God, this is describing being justified. You're born of God. You're a new person. You're a new creation. You're declared righteous. So you're declared righteous, not described righteous. But now what is it to be sanctified? Well, sanctification is this. Sanctification is our gradual, growing righteousness made possible by the Spirit's work in us. So it's gradual, it's growing. It's the process of not just being declared righteous, but actually having it where people would describe you as increasingly righteous. Wow, she is so generous. Wow, she's so loving. Wow, she's so dependent on God. Wow, she, I mean, wow, like I'm seeing her life transform. Right, she's, she's being sanctified. And so here's what he says. He says, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. And that strikes us as a little weird because we're like, well, didn't we just say we sin? Now, we talked about this when we were in chapter one and chapter two, is that in this book, John in no place is saying that if you're born of God, you'll never sin again. In fact, in chapter one, he said, you're gonna sin. And so if you confess your sins, God's faithful and he's just and he'll forgive you your sin. He'll cleanse you. So there's no expectation of perfection here. But the idea of that you're not gonna keep on sinning means you're you're not gonna just unrestrained sin. Right? You, you might go to your childhood home and go, man, I still struggle with some of those same sins, but I'm struggling with it and I'm fighting it and I don't like it. And here's the promise of this. We know that everyone who's been born of God is not going to just keep willy-nilly, I don't care, sinning. Why? Because not only are we justified, we're also sanctified. That's what that is. So we, we feel overwhelmed with weakness. We feel like, ah, oh, it's not getting any better. But we know that God is at work. A few years ago, something really surprising happened to me. Uh, not to me, but I just observed something surprising. Maybe you did too. It was the reintroduction of Polaroids into the world. Right? Some of you kids, you'll know what a Polaroid is. That's the one where you take the picture and the picture actually pops out. Right? It's not just the thing on your phone. And the reason that Polaroids, you know, your parents got excited when Polaroids were cool again was because back in the late 1900s when they grew up, uh, what happened was, you know, in those days, you know, you had to get a real camera. If you're not sure what a camera is, go into the emojis on your phone and uh, go to the technology section and the thing that, anyway, uh, you'd have a real camera and you'd load it with film and you'd have to take that film into the store where they'd process your photos and you'd hope some of them turned out good, but they probably didn't. Right now, you just take them all on your phone, you take a million pictures, and then you go delete the, you know, but you had to take them into a store. Polaroids were awesome because you could just point and out it comes. 
and that Polaroid comes right out. But, but the first time, like I remember, I remember telling my kids, oh yeah, this is awesome. You'll take a picture and it'll just pop right out. What well, popped out and they're like, this stinks. Because <laughs> when it pops out, right, you're holding on to the, the edge, but it's just still a, like a white filmy thing. And so what has to happen to actually see the clear picture? You got to shake it. Shake, 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 shake it. Shake it like a Polaroid picture. That's what you got to do. You got to shake it, right? And so you're shaking it and eventually it becomes clear. Here's what I want to tell you tonight. Sanctification is that you are God's Polaroid picture. Here, here it is. He's, he's taking the picture. He's declaring what it is to be. And then he's grabbing onto it. That's justification. But then he's going to shake you. And the reason you feel so weak, the reason you feel so overwhelmed is because God is shaking you. You thought this was just going to be easy and up and to the right. No, 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 no. Count it all joy, my dear brothers, the scripture says, when you face trials of various kinds. Because those trials are what actually produce righteousness in you. They're what change you. God's shaking you. And after he shakes and after he shakes and after he shakes, when you get to glory, you know what there will be is a clear picture. And it won't just be a picture of you. It will be a picture of Christ in you. That's sanctification. He's shaken, and it's hard, and it's overwhelming, but he's got you. All right, secondly, we feel powerless in an evil world, but we know that God is our source. Big theme in First John has been uh, light versus darkness, light and darkness. And uh, we feel the darkness in this world, don't we? I mean, look around the world. You, feel, you see the darkness, right? I mean, unless you just bury your head in the sand, like ostrich style, like you feel this. You feel the darkness. Right? You look around, you see the violence. And you see the greed and the hatred and the entitlement and the indifference and the arrogance and the immorality, right? We see all these things in the world. Let me ask you, how are you doing at fixing that, by the way? Are you doing great? No, we're not. We're doing terrible at fixing that. Like, we're doing horrible. And you go, well, man, why is it so hard? Well, here's why. Because verse 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, the, the, the evil one does not control the world, but God has in his providence allowed it to lie in the power of the evil one. The day will come when he'll snatch it the day will come when he'll take it back. The day will come when he'll return and he'll make all things new. But for now, it's dark and it's difficult and it's overwhelming. And you look at this and you go, I feel so powerless. And then we put all our hope in politicians. I mean, guys, are we going to, can we just say 2024 is the year where we're going to stop being dumb and, and thinking that politicians are going to sort this? Let, let me read the list again. Violence, greed, hatred, entitlement, indifference, arrogance, immorality. Which candidate is running on a platform of eliminating that? None of them. And if they did, you'd be an idiot to believe them. Because you know that's not what they care about. And yet here we go. We do it again and again and again. 
And it, it's powerless. And, and maybe, maybe we just, we, we channel all that disappointment, we channel all that frustration into a politician or something because it feels like, well, maybe they could do it because we just feel so powerless. But what we know trumps what we feel. We feel powerless in an evil world and it is evil and we are powerless. But we know that God is our source. L- look at what he says here. Again, verse 19, he says, we know that we are from God. This is describing our source. This is describing our strength. This is describing our origin. We are from God. We are God's people. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's allowing it for a time to lie in the power of the evil one, but this world is not our home. We are from God. Yes, we live in this dark world, but our citizenship is in heaven. We're not earth dwellers. That's a big theme you're going to see in the book of Revelation is there's the dwellers on earth. There's the dwellers on earth. There's the earth dwellers, but then there's the citizens of heaven. That's who we are. That's our source. We have light and life. We have a different home. We have new hearts. We have enduring hope. And listen, if you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, this evil dark world is as close to hell as you will ever get. And someday God is going to return and he's going to make it new. And so we know, okay, I'm from God. Yes, I feel overwhelmed. Yes, I feel powerless. But my source is God. Finally, number three, we feel unsettled by uncertainty. But we know that our security is real. Right? You put those things together. Okay, okay, I feel weak. And the world is evil. And it's under the power of the evil one. By the way, the Bible has language for this. It's called the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Bible's not surprised by this. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so, yeah, of course we're going to feel like out of control. We're going to feel uncertain, right? Uh, I, I, hate, I hate ever bringing up 2020 because it just stunk so bad, right? Like, I mean, wasn't it just the worst? And the two things you heard all the time in 2020, one was, uh, this is unprecedented, to which we were all like, Let's just permanently erase that word from English. Okay, so that was one. The second was, well, this is just the new normal. We got to learn the new normal, which was really interesting because the new normal kept changing. And, And listen, and it hasn't stopped changing, which here's what that tells you. What that tells you is that there actually is a new normal, and the new normal is called uncertainty. And the world around us is panicked and grasping and anxious and on edge all the time because it's uncertain. It is uncertain, but not for us because what we know trumps what we feel and we have security in Jesus. Our security is real. It's true. It's genuine. It's the real article because we know Jesus. That's the third we know here is in verse 20. It says, we know that the son of God has come, that's Jesus, and has given us understanding, that's a kind of head knowledge, that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. What's fascinating throughout all of 1 John is that there's two different Greek words that John uses that in English are both translated know. Right? One emphasizes a bit more of the informational knowledge, right? And that's the word that's used here. We know, we know, we know. It's alluded to with this idea of understanding. 
It's this head knowledge. Here's what we know. We can be sure of this. But then there's another word for know that emphasizes especially relational knowledge. It's the way that you don't just know about a person, but you know a person, right? So like Hank has been coming home from school and telling us about his friend Keon. Keon, Keon sounds like a great kid. And I could say, yeah, I, I, like if he said to me, dad, you know Keon? I'd go, well, yeah, I know who you're talking about, right? That's this kind of knowledge. But I don't know Keon yet. Sure, he's awesome, but I don't know him. I don't know him, know him. Here's what he's saying. He's saying we know that we may know him. You can actually have a real personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You can get to know him where he doesn't send you through some automated process of call waiting, but it's a direct line of confidence to him because your sins are forgiven. Jesus' righteousness is credited to you. You can know him. This is one of my deepest prayers for us is redemption, is that we would not just know about Jesus, but that we'd know him. Like that's what Paul said in Philippians 3. He said, said, I consider it rubbish. Everything is rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And why do we want to know Jesus? Because he's the real deal. Look at what it says. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. He's true. He's true. Right, this word true, what it has to do with is not just right or wrong, but it's the idea of authenticity. Is it the real thing or not? He either is the true God, or he's not. And what John is saying, who walked with Jesus for three years and who spent his whole life committed to encouraging people to follow this man that he'd spent all this time with, he was going, he was not just a man. He was truly God. He's the real thing. He's the genuine article. He's truly God. And this is what's amazing. And here's what he says. We are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. And he is eternal life. This is what's incredible, right? Yeah, the world's uncertain, but you have security because if you know him and he's the true God and and he is giving eternal life, and, and here's what it says. It says we're in him. Like you can't get more connected than that. You're in him. It's, it's union language. He's going to hold on, baby. You, it feels uncertain. It is uncertain. He's not going to let you go. In April of 1988, there was a flight on Aloha Airlines. It took off from Hilo. And it, uh, you know, took off and, you know, how Hawaii is and all the different islands and it's headed over the ocean and the other islands. And something just, the, I mean, the nightmare situation happens and the, 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 like, roof of the airplane rips off, this giant passenger jet rips off over the first class section. 
right? You've seen movies. You know what happens when, when they shoot the gun and the whole, pop, the whole plane disappears, right? This is the nightmare scenario. And stunningly, this pilot was able to figure out how to redirect and actually land the plane. Let me show you a picture of this flight uh, when they landed. <laughs> My kids are going to Hawaii with their grandma in a couple of weeks. They were like, uh, you know. I mean, that's, can you imagine that? And you go, here's what I want to tell you. Yes, you actually can. We are all passengers of Aloha Airlines. And the reason things feel so rough is because everything that we thought was holding us together is just ripped off. But God is going to land you safely. God is going to get you home. He's the real deal. He's not going to let you go. You don't have to be insecure. You don't have to be grasping at things of the world. You can hold fast to him, which is why there's an incredible last sentence. Like you almost can forget this last sentence in verse 21. It feels like such a random little add-on because it talks about this issue of idolatry that John hasn't talked about. He, he, he didn't talk about it in his gospel. He doesn't talk about it really in this letter. But here's how he finishes. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why? Because you got the real thing. Don't turn to anything else that's going to promise you security, that's going to promise you strength, that's going to promise you a future. It can't deliver. False gods never fail to fail, but God can be trusted. So we hold on to him. Yeah, we're weak. We feel weak. But he's sanctifying us. And we feel overwhelmed, but he's our source. And everything feels uncertain. The top is ripped off. But we're in him. He's our security. And he will get you home. Let's pray. So Father, thank you tonight for your word. Thank you for the precious promises. God, I pray tonight that we would trust you. God, of course, we want to pay attention to our feelings. We want to interrogate our emotions. Lord, as we do, uh, would what we know trump what we feel? That you would get the glory, that you would get the praise, that you would be seen to be trustworthy and good. We ask it of you in Christ's name. Amen.